Um, also, tip and information. The reason that bees calm down when we smoke them is because they believe their hive is on fire. Interesting. <laughs> if that is not the most zen approach I have ever heard to a situation. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we make the bees think their hive is on fire, so they calm down. Welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black. In today's episode, we're talking all about the future of agriculture. And what I mean by that is some new you know, developments in agriculture, both technological and, and uh, just in terms of nature development itself, um, and how that's going to affect our future food, food production. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about bees and lab-grown meat. So here with us to discuss this topic is my guest, uh, KT. I'm going to let uh, this uh, person go ahead and introduce themselves. So uh, take it away. Uh, uh, hello, I am uh, KT. Uh, I uh, run my own podcast. It's called uh, The Utopic Socialist. Uh, first episode is launching on Wednesday. You can find it wherever you can uh, podcast. And if you're interested, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Proto Socialist. But uh, yes, I, I re I'm really excited to get to talk about uh, two of my favorite things, which is meat and bees today. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited for it as well. And uh, this is definitely a topic that I'm not uh, fully uh, I haven't talked about it a whole lot on the podcast. So it's not something I'm, I'm fully in the, the right mindset for, but I'm you know ready for it regardless. And I think it'll be a really interesting conversation. Absolutely. Awesome. So just jumping straight into it, um, you know, before we start with the, the discussion, what, uh, if any, background do you have with, with agriculture? Well, I, uh, I, I did grow up in Western Kentucky. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of tobacco, soy, corn, cattle, uh, that sort of thing is what I'm very used to. Uh, and I have uh, been to an apiary and got to see that as well. So, I mean, I've been around agriculture. My family uh, wasn't farming by the time I got around there, but I've been around livestock and, and plants and all that throughout my entire life. Awesome. Well, that, you know, sounds like you got a decent amount of exposure. You know, you got you know just a you know general feel for it. you. Kind of know how how things go on the farm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right outside my window, I can look at a, a soy field, and then just beyond that is the Ohio River. Cool. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's something I see every day. It, it sure can get annoying though when you're when you're driving and it's uh, fall and there is just every single tractor on the road possible. Oh, I and imagine. they're going twenty miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's the downside of harvest season. You're just never gonna get anywhere on time. Oh yeah, yeah, geez. <laughs> and, and then they come out with the they, so they always had that flagger truck rolling through there, and then there's just the sprayer that comes through. So you ain't got to dive your sedan off into the ditch, basically. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I've uh, definitely been there. I've had my my complications with you know road traffic because of tractors and you know whether it's sprayers or, or delivery trucks or you know whatever it is they, they have a way of getting in the way yeah yeah they do they do <laughs> but hey awesome. it, it's better you know it's, it's good that they run anyway so yeah. right yeah mm -hmm. no exactly it's just like i don't know if you've heard the song international harvester but it's you know in the song he talks about like hey i've you know i gotta make my living too and i'm trying to grow your food so you might as well just you know wave wave high and just wait your turn and that's yeah, yeah. it's about all you can do yeah it is and so <laughs> Yeah, I, I definitely can get behind that. Yeah, awesome. So, so diving into our our uh, topic of discussion, bees. 
So why don't you, uh, you know, why don't you fill me in a little bit on what your experience, you know, uh, knowledge, uh, you know, kind of expertise is in, in bees and, and beekeeping. Mm-hmm. Well, it's not necessarily an expertise. And so I just wanted to get on here, you know, and discuss it. Uh, you know, I, uh, so I study economics is, uh, is my field of interest, but you know, mm-hmm. it's like a, it's like a hobby of mine as I do enjoy looking into bees and uh, just seeing the impact they have. And as well, also the fact that, you know, with the Varroa populations that we're having going on in the U.S. and the rise of colony collapse disorder, I, I wonder if we're if uh, we're going to see uh, you know bees become less and less viable, mm-hmm. uh, or if uh, you know the struggle that we're going to get through is going to get to a point where we can have basically an explosion of bees, and then every bit of acreage is going to have a bee uh, or uh, you know an ap uh, an apiary on it. Mm-hmm. uh in, in every acre just to boost that uh, productivity it just i'm really interested in talking about uh, where you think that's going to go in terms of the future just more bees less bees same amount of bees it's sort of the main thing yeah huh okay so that's, that I mean, is it's really interesting conversation you know the the only uh discussion on the show i've had about bees is just people asking like are the bees okay you know do we still need to be <laughs> careful about them like the, the bees are fine the, the bees are, are livestock yeah the bees are doing yeah. just fine yeah um, yeah you know but, it's like horses you know right <laughs> we, we we can make more bees yeah i get right. that yeah yeah no exactly and like you know there's there's always people worried about the bees going extinct i mean i think if, if one thing's not going to go extinct it's going to be bees like i think we're doing pretty okay um yeah yeah but in terms of their viability now that's that's a different kind of conversation it Um, is entirely i have seen i I was doing some research before the episode on um kind of not not just the bee population but you know like you mentioned the viability of of bees in in the future of agriculture and the usda seems to think that bees are going to be replaced pretty soon you know in terms of we're going to develop technology and newer methods of of production that might involve some genetic modification or some some more uh, efficient ways of you know of of either crossbreeding plants or or just you know developing new uh, genetic technology for crop production that's not even going to require pollination anymore. So uh, we mm-hmm. might get to a point eventually that could like I don't think we're ever going to be to a point where we're not going to need bees at all. But I think that the uh, you know, the use of bees may see a decrease, you know, mm-hmm. fairly soon. Um, yeah. I, I personally don't see an increase of bees being something that's going to be necessary in, in the modern uh, automated mm-hmm. agriculture age we're living in. Yeah, that is one thing that, you know, especially I know that uh, Wageningen, I believe it is, in, in the Netherlands ha- has a, a fully automated field. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they, they fully automated it. Everything was computerized and droned and it basically ran a full harvest. And that is one thing because, you know, I know we don't need the bees to go out and pollinate these plants. We have dozens of natural pollinators, but it it is, it is interesting, you know, because it does generate additional income, uh, you know, if uh, these beekeepers, especially in these areas can get over there because it does boost the product somewhat, but additionally we create honey, bee pollen, beeswax, and all these other uh, very good products. And just uh, because, you know, uh, uh, bees are uh, producing products that we have to produce out of oil mostly and are worse right yeah no exactly and that's that's a part of the conversation that's often left out you know when people uh worry about the you know the the survival of the bees and you know the the risk of losing our our bee population we do have other pollinators you know there there's there's plenty of other uh insects and and you know small animals that can serve the same purpose as as bees i mean even for a long time you know before agriculture became really prominent humans were doing that job um yeah. you know it's something and, uh... 
Yeah, and also uh, like there's other animals that make honey, other insects. Right, exactly. So yeah, it's yeah. not it's not necessarily that we, you know, that we necessarily just need bees anymore. I mean, not not gonna say we should get mm-hmm. rid of them today, but mm-hmm. I think that we're you know I think that we've kind of over exaggerated how prevalent bees are or how prevalent they need to be in in modern agriculture. And I think that bees are doing a great thing. I think that, you know, mm-hmm. what we've been able to accomplish with, you know, with bees has, has been awesome. But I think that especially as we develop our, our technology even further, we're, we're starting to get to a point now where we can kind of just do their job, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. With, with and one part of it though, is we do use the word bee in terms of like, we need to save the bees. Right. But that's like, it's a very loose term because there's uh, thousands of different species of bees. Right. I'm yeah. exaggerating probably. I actually don't know how many bees there are, but yeah, there's dozens and dozens of bees, uh, ones that are local to the U.S. and come from all abroad mm-hmm. in terms of the ones and not all bees are honeybees. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's the big thing too. You know, people worry about like, I, I, I think I read somewhere that honeybees aren't even actually native to North America. Like mm-hmm. I think we... Yeah. Most of our queens are Russian queens, I believe. Right. Russians and Italians is where we get most of our uh, queens from. Okay. Huh. Which yeah. is interesting, you know, because that's that's something that is often like, you know, we had the whole, uh, I, I don't know if you remember at the beginning of, uh, I'm sure you do, at the beginning of 2020, we had the whole uh, killer hornet situation. Yeah. Was it yeah. killer hornet or? Uh... Yeah, it was a killer, killer hornets or wasps. Yeah. Yeah, I forget which. And uh, then a couple of years before then, we had Africanized bees as well. Right. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. that was, you know, that was a concern. Like the, the general public, I actually got, you know, got this question a couple of times on, on the podcast. The general public was concerned uh, for the safety of the bees because of, of this, you know, this one predatory insect. And, you know, they, they didn't re- they didn't even really uh, realize exactly, you know, how bees are kept, you know, exactly how like the, you know, how hives are maintained, how the, you know, how mm-hmm. bees are used in, like you, like you mentioned, in terms of, of livestock, you know, not just natural bees, but the, the bees that we actually utilize for agricultural use and how those are uh, maintained. And so, you know, yeah. while I'm sure that, that, you know, those predatory species are uh, dangerous for certain, you know, beekeepers and for certain farmers, uh, I'm not, not, I'm trying, not sure that because like, you know, like you said, the whole, like the general um, how general it is when we say like save the bees. I'm not sure just how much of an issue it really was that we have an invasive species that's that's you know preying on mm. on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think we should be much more worried about the varroa mite. And even then, when we talk about like the these bees coming up here, I mean, commercial uh, growers have to be worried about uh, their bees invading other hives. Right. Yeah. 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 Because that was something I was I was very interested to learn about. Yeah, a, a bee can just a bee a queen can just say yeah, go ahead and go ahead and raid that other hive for their stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like seal team buzz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like, you know, that's just, it's funny to think about. Cause like, you don't like people tend to not like, I don't, I don't know why, but we've, we've, we've forgotten that bees are animals. So they have natural instinct that they can, you know, do things. They're not just like robots. So we can just send out there and do whatever we want. Like they have their own, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. like their, their own mode of living and they don't even, you know, they're not in it for us. They're in it for them, you know? So they're going to behave in ways that may not even completely align with what we want them to do, but that's just kind of, you know, that's just, they're going to do what they're going to do. I mean, you can't really control yeah. that. So, yeah. um, no, that, that, it's funny, you know, it's funny that you, you bring up the whole rating hive kind of situation. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious on, on your take on this. Uh, I know that for a long time and this still might be the case, but there was a, a big issue with, uh, like beekeepers suing, 
um, PCAs uh, because they were not maybe not maybe it wasn't necessarily PCAs, but uh, like crop dusters, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. Like due to those. CCD, yeah, colony collapse yes. disorder. Right. Um, yeah. Do yeah, you? I, I'm not aware of any direct links be, between that, but we can. So we can look at graphs and say, okay, there is CCD or colony collapse disorder, where basically all the bees will leave a hive, mm-hmm. and the colony will collapse, and the bees will go locate them themselves somewhere else, and uh, and the rise with commercial agriculture and industrial agriculture. The issue with this, though, I mean, I don't know if there's a direct link specifically. And we all know a correlation does not equal causation. Right. So, so yeah, definitely. I think, and, and again, colony collapse disorder doesn't mean the bees are just dying. The bees are moving. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, there, there's definitely, it's all about context, right? Like, you know, just cause something is happening doesn't mean that it's, it's, you know, it's like, it's exactly like you said, causation doesn't equal or a correlation doesn't equal causation, you know? Exactly. Because, exactly. Yeah. Just because a, just because B is happening doesn't mean that a is happening. You know, it's, it, yeah. or the a is causing it necessarily um yeah i mean it'd be the same as if horses were just more likely to run off of farms the only right. issue is when a horse runs away from a farm oh one horse got away no one cares a million bees left oh no <laughs> like there's yeah. just one hive's worth it's not that many bees right yeah. exactly you know it's, it's it's all you know all gets gets you know put down into context and that's just not something that tends to cross people's minds but yeah, yeah. And then I wonder if anybody's out there with conspiracy theories because at this time of year in North America, all, all the bees are dying because oh, it's yeah. that time it's a, it's that time of year all the all the females force all the males out. Oh yeah. No, I've yeah. I've had some interesting conversations luckily and where I, I shouldn't say luckily, but not on the show. I've I just had people kind of ask me in person before mm-hmm. of, you know, like like around this time they're like, "Hey, I've been seeing a lot of dead bees on the ground. Are they like over spraying or something?" It's like no this is kind of just what happens you know this is this is natural yeah. you know yeah. um yeah. the the bees aren't like a commune it's not like free love and peace everybody's welcome. right <laughs> yeah exactly the their their creatures refined for survival through you know generations and generations right well it's yeah. it's always funny because people like to describe this almost like a war between like like uh you know, the green revolution, chemical agriculture and natural agriculture. I like to say like, oh yeah, you know, is the reason all the bees are dying is because everyone's just spraying too many pesticides or, you know, the reason that the bees yeah. are dying is because, or like, you know, they said, mm-hmm. they seem to think that all of the bees are collectively one unit and that, you know, it's just like some big company is just constantly spraying them with, with enough chemicals to kill them off. I'm sure it's happening. Yeah. I actually know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But, wild pollinators are at risk. Yeah. There right. are certain wild pollinators at risk. And work should be done to do those, but you don't help wild pollinators by buying a Russian queen and then putting it up in your backyard. In fact, you have just made the situation worse. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. Com- like you, you, yeah, you just did the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Right. Yeah. Commercial beekeeping is is definitely by no means, uh, you know, and I'm not gonna say environmentally friendly, but it's 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 by no means, you know, naturally preserving the you know the order mm-hmm. of things. You know, it's just not yeah. like. It's I mean, not it, to be it, it's better about. than uh, yeah. It's better than uh, like lives like cattle. It's a it's very environmentally friendly compared to other forms of, uh, sure. of agriculture, but there's not zero impact. Right. There's exactly. always a, there's always a cost. Right. And well, the, the funny thing about it is you know like like we're talking about with you know like you can have hives mm-hmm. raid each other and you can have you know that kind of stuff happen. Like the war on bees that everyone keeps talking about is is almost ironic because the bees are having wars on themselves that nobody's even talking about yeah yeah 
And that's just dependent upon how mean the queen is. Yeah, it's right. very interesting. You know, bees just respond to her exclusively. But right. yeah, tracking back to something you said before, you know, talk about, you know, spraying and GMOs. Mm-hmm. It, it is kind of sad that, you know, in this current time, those have become a block. If you want GMOs or spraying, you have to have them both and you either want them or you don't want them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing that would prevent us from needing to spray agriculture we can't do because the people who don't like spraying don't like GMOs. Right. No, exactly. And that's, that's something I've, I've had yeah. to talk about before too, is, you know, that every time we lump those two together, we're, we're having a counterproductive conversation, you know, like uh, I've, I've had people say before, like, Oh yeah, the problem with agriculture today is that, you know, they, they're spraying too much and they're using too many GMOs. It's like, well, if you let us use one, we wouldn't have to use the other, but that's kind of, you know, they, they're not really <laughs> yeah, having the yeah. conversation, but I mean, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not the most knowledgeable in terms of, of bees. So I'm going to be asking you uh, more questions on, on that kind of stuff in terms of like the GMO conversation, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, let's just say we have a crop that's, that's uh, more herbicide and pesticide resistant. And so, um, or maybe it's, it's got built in, you know, pesticides that we don't have to spray it as much. Yeah. If, if a, um, you know, if a bee cross pollinates that, that crop, you know, or, or if a bee is, is um you know trying to pollinate like or first of all let's before we even get there are there regulations on how you're able to pollinate fields that are genetically modified or, or can you you know pollinate uh, fields that are genetically modified right now uh, i don't believe there's any restrictions on that i mean okay. it, it's it's pretty hard to tell a bee what to do right and where to go get That's its fair. pollen from and um so yeah depending upon what's in the area a lot of uh, commercial beekeepers locate themselves on federal land. Mm-hmm. So uh, they locate themselves on federal land where it's protected and only a few types of growing is allowed. Okay. Uh, and a few types of non-intensive agriculture like cranberries and uh, other forms of berries and bees. And, and then a few others are just big commercial plots of forest land where, where they plant a lot of flowers. But in terms of like your local honey, especially in rural areas in which you go buy local honey, which is just to, it's local honey not unpasteurized local honey is amazing for your health mm-hmm. um and i'm not one of those essential oils you know take this frankincense you know cure your cancer right no no it helps with allergies and yes. like <laughs> yeah it helps with allergies it don't 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 uh you know don't stop with your chemo if you <laughs> if you take uh, local honey right uh, but yeah. So anyways, I don't know anything about that specifically. And I don't think it, it would be something you'd be able to police just because bees don't care. But I do know that in terms of where they're putting bees, there's just been this big push recently to put bees in the big cities, oh. uh, Los Angeles, New York, uh, uh, you know, and all the other ones just across the U.S. are trying to get the bees in there. Now, what's the what's the primary reason for that? Well, uh people are finding that the bees are able to somewhat propagate. I mean, there, there's small parks and, and avenues in these areas. And so there are beekeepers who are able to do so. And then they market it as a high, uh, as high premium honey and are able to make a decent living off of it. Okay, and additionally, other people are finding out how easy it is to raise bees because, you know, getting stung by a bee sucks, but you don't get stung that often if you don't, if you don't attack them. And it's very dependent upon the queen. Right. And as well in the suburbs, people are working on it. You know, there's a lot of little startups and initiatives that are trying to get beekeeping uh, in, uh, you know, in uh, local arms uh, much more. Hmm. So, hmm. so, yeah, that's just that's just something that's going on now is definitely de- definitely it, because bees, if you think about it, it's a box that you can set outside 
and the right. bees will go take care of themselves. I mean, you have to do work, but it's a lot easier than if you were to, you know, start raising 50 head of cattle. Right. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Yeah. So mm-hmm. this is a, this is kind of a, a goofier question, but you know, since, so I, I come from a, a cattle based background, so I'm more familiar with, you know, beef and dairy cattle mostly. Um, with mm-hmm. with cattle you know and, and this is more prevalent in horses but especially like you know with with cattle you can almost determine you know how they're going to act you like you can determine their behavior if you spend long enough with them can you do that with bees like ha- have you yes gotten... uh, yeah absolutely it's all dependent upon the queen okay yeah however mean the queen is is however mean the bees will be your bees could be super nice i know beekeepers who don't even wear their suits wow when they go mess with their bees they just walk out there they got their smoker Mm-hmm. Um, also tip and information the reason that bees calm down when we smoke them is because they believe their hive is on fire interesting <laughs> if that is not the most zen approach i have ever heard to a situation <laughs> yeah we, we we make the bees think their hive is on fire so they calm down <laughs> <laughs> they just give up or why that why is the they... most z- I, I have no idea. I, I, I haven't looked into the bee psychology of it, but that is that is the that is why they, they calm down. That's crazy. They think the huh. bees are on fire. Wow. But yeah, it's <laughs> well, it reminds but, me, have you seen yeah. that meme where it's like the dog sitting at the coffee table and his house is on fire? And he's yeah, like, yeah, fine. that that's bees. That, that's straight up his bees. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> this is fine. Yeah, yeah. So just just a neat thing about it. But yeah, so it's all dependent upon the queen. If the bees are mean, the bees are mean mm-hmm. and the bees don't want to sting you because they don't like yeah, it and they'll die. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, but that's actually one thing is just, you know, it's kind of a myth that if bees sting something, they die. If bees sting people, they die because we have thick skin. So okay. they are, their tails are really barbarous. Mm-hmm. Their tails are basically barbed wire. Oh, huh. so yeah, if you were to stick, if you were to stick a barbed wire poker into something that was pretty thin and squishy it's going to pull right back out like another insect mm-hmm. and do more damage to it but when it's a human we have really thick skin so they can get it in there but they can't get it back out and they rip that tail out of themselves okay interesting mm-hmm. well I, I knew that you know i knew that whenever they sting a human obviously it rips their rips their stinger out and that's like connected to like all their you know their organs and everything and that kind of rips them apart but i didn't know that they could just sting you know like a non-human and still be okay yeah, it depends upon how thick the skin is, and so you huh. you have to think bees are designed to fight other insects. Right. Yeah, they're 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 soldiers essentially. Yeah, yeah. So bees will fight and protect the hive against other bees and wasps and other things that will try to invade uh, hmm. and invade them, and so that's what they're designed to fight up against is all of that. Interesting. So, yeah. mm-hmm. Wow. So can you kind of you know if if you're if you're taking care of like a, a hive, can you? get to be on better terms with the queen like can you improve your relationship with the queen and they and she won't send her bees on you uh sort of it just it just really depends upon and how how it goes some queens are just mean and in fact sometimes you can put a queen in a hive and the bees won't like her and they won't take to her and they'll let her starve huh wow yeah yeah bees are bees have a very intense social structure interesting (laughs) yeah yeah also if if uh, if you're managing a hive you have to be very careful because if you go around digging digging in a box and you don't check if they're making royal jelly they will make royal jelly make another queen and then they will force the old queen to take half the hive and leave wow (laughs) yeah yeah so bees bees manage themselves like if your hive is getting overpopulated the bees will leave your hive and, and go elsewhere 
So how do you, like from the managerial perspective, how do you handle that? Like, do you just let it happen or do you have to break up, you know, they're like, if they're trying to make uh, a roll jelly, you just have to stop them or. Uh, you can make another hive yourself. Okay. And you can move half the hive over with a new queen. Uh, but yeah, you have to go on there and you have to break off the royal jelly to make sure they don't make another queen uh, or you can, you know, take care of that. And so that, that's basically how bees are, you know. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And also, if you kill one bee, it releases pheromones, mm -hmm. which tells every other bee that a bee has died, which is a bad thing to bees. So the bees will then not be happy with whoever uh, has that pheromone on them. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There, there is, there is one perfume or something out there that I, uh, I forget. But it, some people claim that uh, it smells like that chemical to the bees, and so they'll attack you. <laughs> I'm not certain on that. And I, so you know, you all use the Google machine. Go ahead and fire up them diesel computers and see if they work, uh, <laughs> and see if that's true. But that is something I've heard in the past. That sounds like a fun, like almost like a prank. Like you just like spray somebody with that, and then have them come to your, <laughs> you know, come to your hives, and then they just get bombarded. Yeah, yeah. Aside from the potentiality of death, that that does kind of put a damper, That's true. a damper that, on that kind of prank. Yeah, that could be a bit of an issue. Well, you yeah, just, you know, just don't don't put enough on there that you know they'll they'll be yeah. they'll be killed. Um, yeah, but, yeah definitely. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, that's probably one of the most complex social structures in a livestock animal that I've I've ever heard of. Mm -hmm. Well, they're allowed to have it is one thing. Mm. You know, when it comes to like horses and you know horses and cattle and everything we break that out of them. Right. That's true. You know, you know, I mean, like, that's one of the things I'm sure you know about it when you have to break a horse. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really hard to break a bee. You can't exactly hook it up to the sled. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we haven't found a way to break their social structure because mm -hmm. if we could, we, we sure would have engineered that a long time ago. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, it's, it's a little bit difficult because they're, you know, they have power numbers at that point. Like, you know, they, if you break up their social structure, then that could potentially break up their entire production, you know, and then you just kind of lose out your, you mm -hmm. lose out your entire operation there. Like with, yeah. and that, that's assuming that you even could, you know, with, mm -hmm. with cattle, you break up their social structure, they, they'll still make the same product for you. It just might, you know, mm -hmm. you might have I to. Mean, um they'll i mean they'll have like a well with cattle it's it's they they still have a social structure it's just different than how it would appear naturally like you know they their social structure is just they have a top cow and the top cow just gets to eat first basically that's about as the extent of it yeah and then you know every spring oh you get that awful bawling for just oh, oh yeah yeah because all the calves are gone they'll just murr, murr, mm -hmm. oh, for hours and you're trying to sleep <laughs> you just that, hear that through the walls oh i can imagine that's got to be nice about the bees though they probably don't make as oh I'm, i know they don't make as much noise but they're yeah, probably not yeah. obnoxious in terms of the noise yeah yeah it is and i guess you know we we did just take their children from them so you know we, we could give them a, a little bit that's of sympathy. fair yeah yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> a little bit of sympathy not too much no you gotta, gotta <laughs> give them a little bit of slack but don't don't let them get used to it yeah absolutely so yeah <laughs> but uh one thing i do want to talk about is varroa gorilla varroa Okay. Yeah, V O R R A. It's a mite. Okay. What's yeah. uh, uh what's yeah. the deal with that? Yeah, so um it's uh it's a little mite that attaches to bees and then it eats them and it's become a big issue over here in uh, in North America and so uh oh. beekeepers are having a lot of trouble dealing with the mite and trying okay. to get it off of them because if you get a hive with it that's infected with these and we don't actually fully understand how they're able to get on to bees. Hmm. Research is still being done into that. 
there are places in the world which are varroa free there's one island up in canada i forget exactly where they're varroa free as of uh, i last heard but that is one issue is uh you know across the world um since the 90s we've had varroa that have moved in here and it is and is a problem and is a sort of an epidemic in beekeeping it's a lot more important to beekeepers than ccd uh is is really you wow. know it's effectively like imagine it so the size comparison is imagine if you had a like a coyote that just okay. attached itself to the back of every cow you had wow yeah so it's huh. yeah yeah it, it, it gets bad and it will wreck a hive oh wow that's crazy yeah. Because, I mean, the bees come in the hive, the bees go around other bees, the, uh, the mites jump off the other bees, they start eating those, and then they can just work through the entire structure uh, so of a hive. Yeah. Is there currently any, you know, like, like effective preventative measures you can take with them? Yeah, I know they're using fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're using fire as, as a good method to, to get rid of the varroa mites. The problem is that it has the side effect of getting rid of a hive as well. I was going to say that that probably doesn't sound too productive for, you know, the, the bees. Yeah, but they were calm during it. Remember, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, they they're just sitting back and watching it happen. Yeah, yeah. So that that is that is one that is a big problem facing the beekeeping, and it, it's it's been an issue for thirty years now, but it it gets there there are years worse than others, and it's getting worse now. So mm. uh, there there needs to be some effort done uh, in in terms of getting that taken care of, and, and a lot of it is education. You know, mm. it's kind of interesting to learn about. Uh, they're all over there's uh beekeeping associations or uh you know organizations just like all over the u.s especially and and you can get information about beekeeping meet other beekeepers it's just learn how to be a beekeeper it's, it's a it's a really accessible form of uh, it's a really accessible hobby or you know form of light agriculture that many people uh can, can practice i'm surprised to learn about yeah no that, that's awesome i mean i i really had never taken an interest in bees besides just the whole you know, like population and cross pollination kind of stuff. But um, yeah, no, it definitely sounds like it's a lot more intricate and, you know, and, and interesting than, than what it gives off to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a big expression, uh, you know, that you don't, you don't work the bees, you work with the bees. Huh. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, with, with a cow, you, you run it through a chute, you put it in an area, you know, you hook up the machine to it, you draw the milk off of it, you put it over here, you, you work the, you work cattle, you, mm -hmm. you have to work with the bees, you know, you, you can't work them the same way you can other, other livestock. And so that's where it becomes an issue. And so, you know, people also want to claim that like all beekeepers have the same kind of personality. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I assume that's because they were too forceful one day and they cracked open the hive and then they learned to be a little more patient. <laughs> yeah. That sounds about you, right. Yeah. You piss that queen off and she going to get upset. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't, uh, can't mess with the Well, unless you let her on fire, then I guess then she'll be fine. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, even then. So if you don't, you don't have enough smoke in there or anything like that. And uh, also, you know, so you got to, you have to pull out all these little racks in there. If you squish a bee, they'll, they'll be mad at you. Well, I, I would so, imagine. I mean, if you came in and, and squished one of my family members, I'd probably be a little upset. Yeah. Yeah. So bees are a, yeah, bee, bees are a very interesting, interesting uh, thing that we have to deal with. So, and so that, yeah. So I have a couple questions. First of all, going back to the whole squishing bees thing, you said that whenever a bee dies, it gives off uh, pheromones that, that can upset other bees. Is that only if they die through unnatural means or if they just die just, you know, just from natural ways too, will they also squishing. get upset? Squishing them. Squishing them. Okay. Is mostly when it comes to it. 
uh, is that's what does it when we when we squish bees and other things i'm not certain if uh, if attacks do it as well just like piercing them mm-hmm. i believe it's something to do with their insides that can do it but yeah that when they sense. force bees outside and they drop dead through freezing or whatever it is that doesn't alert the bees okay. uh, they're not going to go outside and attack the cold okay uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting to watch um yeah but, okay so so it's it's almost like there's like a you know just just uh like looking at it like like an like an image is like a bag of of just hormones sitting inside them whenever you whenever you smash them it just releases all of it because the bag pops or whatever yeah yeah i'm sure you know you know i assume you've gone deer hunting and, you, and you've mm-hmm. had to deal with the uh, the urine sack and a deer <laughs> right exactly <laughs> yeah that that is always a fun experience and you you always hope oh please please don't bust please don't bust please right don't bust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay that, that makes more sense and then the other mm-hmm. question i had was so going back to your whole Varroa situation, um, would it be possible? Because I know we haven't really done this a whole lot with with livestock yet, um, but would it be possible to genetically modify bees to be able to handle that that kind of you know parasite better? Mm-hmm. Well, go back to the the coyote on the back of your cattle analogy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it would it would be it would, we would have to find a way to engineer them some some maybe some spikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, yeah so, yeah it, it, it's definitely is it's something we need to look into and mostly we just need to get rid of the infection but mm-hmm. the issue is it's also in our environment as well okay and so there's gonna be a lot of work to do it and i don't have the answers uh in terms of what we need to do or what we can do right what i do know is that we we can do something at least we so that's one thing we need to talk about is when we deal with this situation, if every commercial hive was able to make their populations 100% varroa free, mm-hmm. that would not solve the problem in okay. our environment. Yeah, huh. our environment is, you know, so like, yeah, our natural pollinators are having to fight off varroa, which is hard, right. and, and they're having issues with it. And so we need to find a way to, to kill the varroa mite specifically. But I don't know if that's going to be a, a battle we can wage with the technology we have. Right. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's not really. I mean, even if we, we could, yeah. I was gonna say, unless we could find a way to like almost, you know, just give the give the varroa mite, you know, some kind of disease and it brings it back and just kills all the other ones. But I'm not even sure if that would be a, a sufficient solution. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's the thing: the varroa mites will go on to the bees and then multiply from there. I mean, right? Even if we developed a pesticide which could 100% kill uh, varroa mites, do you think that the that we're going to allow crop dusters to just start crisscrossing the nation spraying everybody and everything oh yeah no no way yeah yeah that's that's not happening that <laughs> that would yeah every conspiracy theory nut job out there would have <laughs> would have a box of tools to play with and oh every, yeah every one of it yeah that would just do nothing but fuel is fire so yeah yeah so so you know they're not going to start crop dusting for varroa it's not real in case anybody was that's not a real thing <laughs> so do you think if it was i'd support it <laughs> right so uh, you mentioned that, that it's it's an issue of education do you think if we were able to get people more aware of the situation they'd be more comfortable with us developing technology that could handle that kind of problem or, or is it deeper than that yeah, well, it's an education for beekeepers, for beekeepers mm-hmm. to be able to handle the varroa situation. Okay. The issue when it comes to the general public and what they're concerned with, because in all honesty, the general public should not care about honeybees. Right. It's a livestock issue. I mean, I'm not saying like you should learn about it, but I'm saying like, you know, if you're sitting in a house and you're, you know, you're concerned about the honeybees, their livestock, the the beekeepers are going to be able to handle this. It's about educating the beekeepers, but in terms of 
like the the our natural pollinators in our natural environment dealing with varroa, that's where we're going to see the issue. Mm. And I'm not certain how we could we could help in terms of developing measures in order to fight back the varroa mite in our in our environment. You know, the bees are important, but they're not it. They're not alone. Right. That's 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 fair. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure if there's anything in particular um, else about, you know, the bees or the future of, of beekeeping that, mm-hmm. that you wanted to discuss. Those, those are kind of all the questions I could think of on that topic. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's good. If you want to go ahead and uh, switch over, you know, we've been talking about cattle for quite a while. Uh, let's <laughs> talk about making cattle obsolete. Just as we mentioned in the beginning, how bees are obsolete. Woo, technology and humans. <laughs> yep. No, that, this entire episode is just about how agriculture is just going to get rid of all the animals and just find better ways to do it. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's planned obsolescence ag style. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so lab-grown meat, what do you know about it? Uh, lab-grown meat or synthetic meat or any form they're talking about, they use pluripotent stem cells gathered from uh, animal muscles in order to develop and uh, grow meat in petri dishes. Uh, the main company just uh, is pushing for it, has actually received regulatory approval in the 6 million uh, uh, person nation of Singapore. Hmm. Although it is excessively expensive, it is more environmentally friendly uh, in terms of greenhouse gas, energy intensiveness, land use. Uh, and the the belief is that with, as the material is going forth, we can get the meat, uh, we can get the price per pound to drop precipitously. Hmm. And so that is something that I'm really interested in, the ability for us to make meat cheaper, cleaner, and uh, healthier. Interesting. So I, I, mm-hmm. I was... Um... Let's see. I was in high school when when the lab grown meat first started to kind of circulate the conversations, mm-hmm. um, and so at that point they they had it wasn't even out of the lab yet, like because it's, it's a very yeah. recent thing that it's even available for purchase. Um, exactly, and it's hella expensive. Yes, you know, you know uh, one chicken nugget costs like thirty pounds. Right. No, exactly. So thirty yeah. U.S. dollars. So yeah. like like it, it's not it's not cheap in any measure. It's cheaper than when it first came out, but. Mm-hmm. We're, we're a ways away from from getting cheap agriculture you know right that could be next week we could hear about the massive breakthrough that makes you know it pennies on the dollar mm-hmm. it could be the next decade that we that, that's one of the things that we don't know about when it's going to come but i want to you know talk about exactly when it's coming regardless what, what do you think will happen uh when we, we start seeing it when it becomes competitive uh in terms of price because uh, I do know that there has been some recent studies, uh, market-based studies that have shown that people are willing to pay a premium for this product. You know, I mean, think about your, your vegans, your vegetarians, or your animal rights activists, the people who are concerned about that, oh, who yeah. see these, the, the, these products as, you know, because they are, there's no, there's no animal pain involved in this, right. You know, it'd be the same thing as giving the animal a vaccination. Right. Uh, and so that's so, just something I was Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. So yeah, like I said, this is something that I've, I've taken an interest in a lot uh, lately, just because, you know, like I said, I come from, you know, the beef and dairy industry. So this is something that would heavily affect my, my hometown and my family and that kind of stuff. Um, it's something that I think is really, it's, it's a conversation that's, that's worth having now before it starts to, you know, evolve more and more. Um, it's hard to say when it's, when it's going to reach that level. The, the question I've always had about it is not necessarily when is it going to become, uh, commercially, you know, competitive is my, my question has been, you know, is it, is it going to reach a point where it'll be sustainable enough to replace conventional agriculture? Yeah. 
and and that's gonna be something to talk about you know i mean in terms of production it's it's infinitely scalable you know mm -hmm. that's one right. thing that you can think about you know it's not perfect yet and it's replication you know right. we're not we can't replicate the exact same flavor and taste but what we can do is we can produce any cut of meat mm. which is and, impressive and, that, and that's something we can think about is you know yeah i mean we can produce like and that's the thing is the technology is is advancing rapidly because mm -hmm. there's a lot of money behind it and getting put forward and you know especially uh as the climate um crisis moves on as we have or the you know the uh, climate war as some people like to call it mm -hmm. it's gonna be interesting to see if any more money gets thrown at this as a uh, as a solution mm -hmm. i i feel like and it might so, yeah because mm -hmm. I, I mean and so you're sorry yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, and so what I was thinking is, where exactly do you do you see any easy solution or easy switch off point for for cattle farmers to switch off to another livestock that is a little more insulated? I mean, it's it's difficult to say right now just because of how new the technology is. It's, it's hard to gauge because, like you said, I mean, it's 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 evolving and mm -hmm, it's, it's constantly mm -hmm. getting you know exactly it's, evolving, it's exactly. evolving at an exponential rate too. You know that's yeah. And that's, so, uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, oh, yeah, no, you're good. Um, that's kind of the, um, that's the important thing to keep in mind here is that, you know, yeah, like we're at, it's super expensive and it's super hard to produce right now, but you know, next year they could develop like, or like you said, it could be a week from now, they could develop the breakthrough less and do it, you know, not just, not just uh, better, but faster too. And, you know, like the, within like a few weeks, they could find out a way to like, Oh, well now we can produce as much meat you know, as we could get from one steer in, you know, for half the price and, for, and, in half the time. And so like that kind of stuff, you know, is as they evolve the technology for, it, I think that the, the competitive nature of it, and I think that the, um, the risk for the, you know, the beef you know ranchers is going to increase. So the, the rate at which I think is going to be evolving is, is hard to determine right now, but I think that it just, and this is a conversation I've having, I've been having lately anyways, I think that in you know, combination with the new technology in terms of like the meat production, but um, also in, in combination with the urban sprawl that's been happening, you know, the amount of farmland that's being torn down for, for urban development and mm -hmm. for the amount of land that's being, you know, like with the animal rights activists and with the environmentalists, environmentalists and all that kind of stuff, the amount of land that's being bought out and being converted um, either to natural land or, or back to, to urban land, just to, you know, try to mitigate as much animal agriculture as possible it's not a bad idea for animal agriculturists to try to look for alternative methods and what those alternative methods might be. It's, it's hard to say, because I don't know right now is lab grown meat. Um, is it just beef or, or how much of it, how many, how many different types of products can we do here? Uh, well, I mean, if we can, I know that the, I know that uh, the food company just is working on chicken and okay. uh, cattle. And I believe they're also working on fish and perhaps pork, hmm. but I mean, yeah i mean even if we just go and so i i say that uh, why don't we why don't we ask this question specifically let's say all right we know that the uh that uh, lab grown meat that this that this uh that they have completely replaced the cattle mm -hmm. this is a hypothetical they have hypothetically completely repl uh, replaced cattle production like the the lab grown meat is cheaper faster easier higher quality cuts mm -hmm where does the where does the cattle rancher go how does he make his uh, how does he make his dime okay that's, that's that's a good it's a good hypothetical to go off of and it kind of follows the same 
the same path as, uh, so like I have been talking to, um, an old mentor of mine about urban sprawl and that kind of thing. And he, when I was learning how to speak, he used to ask me, okay, so if a farmer gets, gets offered, you know, uh, enough money that could last him, his next generation and his next generation for his farm, you know, it's going to turn into a Walmart. Does he take it? You know, the farmer wants to say no, because he doesn't want to get rid of his land and, and, you know, have it have that land lost to urban development, but he have enough money to basically sustain his, you know, his next two generations. And then, you know, that most farmers are, are moral people. They're not going to, they're not going to take, you know, they're, they're going to take the deal that's going to benefit their family before the one's going to benefit their farm. Yeah. I think, and there is that deep connection to, to land, right. which is something I, know about. I come from the South. So, you know, oh yeah, <laughs> we're, we're big on our, on our heritage down here, you know? Right. Not, and not, not the one thing that happened back in 1860s. But anyways, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the other type of heritage, like my great granddaddy, uh, he built this house with uh, with his buddies. And, uh, you know, these are the quilts that these quilts are 200 years old that have been wow. passed down in the family. You know, that sort of stuff, you know, is, is common down here in the South. And so we care a lot about our land, especially like, you know, that that's our land. Right. No, exactly. 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 So, so I definitely understand what you're talking about there when you talk about they're reluctant to do so. You know, yeah. It, and that's one thing that like i guess you know in the city it kind of seems different Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to speak blanketly like every city person thinks like this but i you know i will say that yeah land over there is oh you have an we have an acre of land we have this huge backyard but Mm -hmm. we may move over to los angeles tomorrow Mm -hmm. if you're if you're a farmer who grew up in in uh, kentucky and you've been here for the past eight generations and you've got 100 acres you are in Kentucky with your hundred acres, that's where you belong. That's where, right. That's where you feel that's where you're attached to, you know, that ground has been worked for as long as you've been alive and longer. Yeah. I mean, I come from central California, you know, which most people don't tend to think about as agricultural land, but oh, that's I, our food basket. right Yeah, there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up in, in, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard Tulare, um, but you know, that's where the world like, was held. It's, you know, it's, it's the dairy capital of the world. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't even grow up on a farm. I just grew up around, you know, dairies and, and around agriculture and like with my family being involved with, you know, farming families and that kind of stuff. Um, so, and I, I don't, I don't even want to leave my hometown. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's not even that I own me. It's just that I grew up around land where all of the connections here are so deep and all of like the, you know, the bloodlines of, of just the relationships between my family and the farming families is so deep that I don't even want to leave that. So it yeah, just kind of shows yeah. the level of connection there. Um, Mm-hmm. but and know, like the, i said and, and we're not saying that you know people from the city are just these heartless people no we're just right. saying this is what we've experienced right no exactly like people from you know people that didn't grow up around this kind of stuff are are you know they don't have a, an emotional tie to it because it's not their life you know um mm-hmm. it's just you know it's just different for them and that's not a bad thing it's just not they, mm. they just don't understand you know where we're coming from but yeah. the reason I bring up that, that, you know, that question of, you know, would the farmer sell his land is because it's a similar one to this conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, if animal agriculture is completely replaced by this technology, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if, if the farmer is offered the, you know, mm-hmm. the like dream of his, you know, like the, the amount of money of his dreams, they could sustain all of the generations that he needs to sustain in exchange for his mm-hmm. land it's a difficult thing to do but i think that eventually yeah. they'll they'll take that deal and i don't think that necessarily that that, that beef rancher is going to worry about it because he can retire i think that the people who are going to worry about it are the people who want to get into it young you know the the new yeah. generation or kind of, yeah or the people whose land isn't valuable yet 
Right. Exactly. You know, and that's one thing, you know, there, there's people with these hundreds of acres, you know, out in Texas or the Great Plains or, you know, anywhere where they have these huge cattle lands that cannot support agriculture. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this talk of we'll just switch over to producing, you know, more, uh, you know, m- more corn and soy. That's not always uh, that's not always an option for, for this land. And if it's not in the right location and developers don't want it, it's not going to give them that money. And even then, if there is this big push, uh, because, you know, it becomes unprofitable to produce cattle in the meat industry anymore, mm-hmm. then we're not going to see the, these, uh, you know, three generation uh, revenue packages that are going to be flopped out there. They're going to they're going to start paying, you know, they're going to start lowballing everybody because they know it doesn't matter. Right. If one farmer won't sell, he'll go to the other one because everybody's getting out of the biz. Right. And I think what's what's going to end up happening, you know, let's just assume that this eventually does replace animal agriculture. I think that there's going to be rough for the transitionary period. You know, anyone who's wanting to get into agriculture around the time that this is happening. But I think after maybe a generation or two, the mm-hmm. the new question is going to be, it's, it's not necessarily going to be like, oh, well, now animal agriculture is gone. So we're all just done with with farming. I think it's yeah, going well, to be. No, what about sheep? You know, right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know and, uh, and that is one question I do have. I, I'm not so, so concerned about, I don't know if you know about this, but what is the potentiality of switching over from producing cattle to producing sheep? It is a, a rough transition. I know that um, it's, it depends on your land, you know, it depends on what you have available in terms of resource. Um, because mm-hmm. you know, I didn't sheep, know how different, how different intensive they, they required, you know? Yeah. I mean, they have very similar digestive systems, but um, you know, you, you can't necessarily feed them the same, or well, I guess it depends on your operation. You can, if you're feeding them out for, you know, for meat production, but if you're, you know, using them as grazers or if you're using them for wool um, it's a bit of a different type of operation, you know, because mm-hmm. at that point you're feeding them out for longevity. You're not necessarily feeding them out to fatten up and then sell them off to, to market. So it would depend on your operation. You know, it depends on, on, you know, what resources you have available. Mm-hmm. My question is, you know, and this, this can go to the sheep thing, you know, too, but also to the cattle. If it got, if it, if it came to the point where cattle were no longer used for commercial production, how would that change the feed industry? Um, all of the byproducts that are that are gotten they're uh, you know used by cattle after slaughter because we don't just use their meat we use their hooves their horns we use the you know some of the, their intestines mm-hmm. for different things like not all of their like their entire body isn't just used for meat there's there's different purposes for it. and that's why like yeah. we couldn't oh. you know we might be able mm-hmm. to eventually produce mutton using this technology but would we replace sheep entirely with that I don't think yeah, so exactly and so this this is part of my background like so I, I do economics and so mm-hmm. one thing that we're gonna see is who's paying right. And who's paying the bulk? I mean, when we sell animal products, and yeah, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, a lot of people like to think a cow, a, a cow is is the meat mm-hmm. or the milk or you know, and those products. But there is, you know, hundreds of byproducts we pull from every animal at slaughter because farmers need the every dime they can get. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to see is the price of leather. Yep. And the price of every other chemical. If there's not a if there's not a profitable solution or you know a, a profitable solution because that could be the thing. Once we start seeing these high prices, it may only be a couple months before we get these chemists out there who say, guess what I came up with in the lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's going to be out there. So it's definitely it's going to be a transitionary period. Right. And, and I, and I think, think that's something that, w- that we're starting to accept more and more as time goes on. It's no longer. Oh, look at that weird, quirky idea. That's never going to turn out to be something. It's oh, Huh. Is that mine or the next generation's problem? Right. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, you know, it's, it's no longer, you know, oh yeah, that's just, you, you keep, you keep talking on a street corner, man. It's now it's like, 
do, do I need to have a backup plan for this? You know, is this something that this is going to potentially hurt my entire livelihood? And, you know, like it's, it's something that farmers are having to, to worry about now, like the newer technology. But my question is, cause I've always been an advocate for the idea of, you know, we just need to have a sufficient source of food. I'm all for preserving agriculture in any way possible, yeah. but as we've seen, and I've had this conversation in the past, you know, people are worried about automizing agriculture because it gets rid of jobs. The job market adapts, you know, people who, uh, didn't have a job because new technology replaced it. We'll find a new job with the new technology, um, mm-hmm. and that and that's a question we need, you know, we could we could think about here. But yeah, definitely, I see what you're talking about in terms so, of food. Right. Well, we when we consider like the, so, meat is a very expensive food product. I mean, people want to claim that if you go vegan, then you're going to pay a lot more. Yeah, if you're out there buying uh, like the super organic and healthy stuff, right. but most of the time, we're paying you know dollars per pound for for beef and everything and so you know we have this consumption and so uh i think that could be a wonderful thing in terms of everyone's uh real income uh, and so uh you know we're gonna you know we won't see wages rise necessarily but when you go to the grocery store meat might be the cheapest thing mm-hmm. because if if these factories can produce it th- then it's not going to matter you know and if right. factories can start ramming this out you know we think about like a brewery Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's kind of the system they're using right now with the, the bacteria. And so if they just build these huge breweries everywhere, because it doesn't matter, you can grow it now. You could build a huge factory just outside of New York, ship it in there by truck in the morning. You've got no transport cost. Uh, you've got very little uh, land uh, cost. You've got very little feed. You've got very little everything. Mm-hmm. The only thing you're paying is for, you know, just running this factory here that is super efficient the amount, the cost we're going to see, it could really help people out in terms of purchasing, in terms of purchasing this food. And then especially abroad, you know, we could start, you know, shipping just huge amounts of this abroad into these uh, poor communities. You know, we might be saying, here's your rice, here's your, and here's your T-bone steak, or would you prefer a porterhouse, you know? Right. No, exactly. I mean, we're starting to notice that agriculture as, uh, and this kind of goes back into the point I was making about, you know, new jobs being created from this um, you know, we're, we're starting to see agriculture evolve into more of a scientifically based, which it's always been science based, but it's more of a, it's, it's ever growing, you know, it's more and more science based as we, as we evolve as an industry. And I mm-hmm. think that as we talk about, like, you know, we're worried a about lot more chemistry, a lot less biology. Exactly. Um, and so mm-hmm. like, as we get into the idea of, you know, like, cause this was even a conversation back when they started putting like GPSs into tractors and using like artificial intelligence drones and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. When that became the question, people were like, oh, well, that's going to get rid of a lot of jobs. No, it created a new demand for people who get, get trained in those areas and are able to use that technology. I think as we see that happen with, you know, with this new technology, as, as people, you know, lose their potential jobs that they would have had on, on the beef ranch, there's now a new demand for younger generations to get involved in the technology uh, associated with producing this meat at a, at a, you know, faster and more efficient level. And that could... Yeah ultimately be a good thing for the, for the economy. It's just going to be a shift in, you know, in, in the job market, but it's not going to be necessarily yeah. a loss of, of job. It's just, it might be a loss of jobs for the older generations, but as we talked about, they may even benefit from, from, you know, selling out their, their ranches. Yeah. And, and, and that's one thing that, you know, like I said, is really hard to answer an economic situation. Right. I mean, you're, you're right in terms of like there, there's going to be new jobs opening up, but there may not be more jobs. And one thing mm-hmm. we're not talking about is, if they're going to be locating their factories, they're not going to be locating their factories in the same places these cattle places are. Right. They're going to be locating them in the outskirts of cities mm-hmm. because that's where they can get these super cheap shipping costs. And so I'm worried necessarily about 
a, a more hollowing out of our rural communities. I mean, mm-hmm. we already know that our rural communities are struggling right. to get by there with jobs or anything. I mean, we have everything from a doctor shortage to, to food deserts, as they're called, mm-hmm. and, you know, just because we, we lack just we don't have enough density to be profitable. And so I wonder what's going to happen with a lot of these farms that aren't able to convert if just these farmers start going away and then, you know, farmer stops going there. He stops buying his, you know, a couple hundred gallons of diesel uh, that he needs. And so that gas station, then they close their doors and then that uh, diner closes its doors and then it's this knock on effect. And then all of a sudden we've got this rampant uh, just closing down of our uh, rural uh, towns and cities as people then have to shift and move out. Mm -hmm. It'd be, uh, you know, like the, uh, a, a technological dust bowl in right. sort of a way, you know? Yeah, no, and I, I, I'm, I'm fearful for the same thing. And I have been for a while. That's actually why I you know started my show in the first place. People, you know, come on here ask all the time and ask me like, like, what's the point in, in talking about this kind of stuff. And I always, you know, explain like we, we may never run out of food and I'm, I'm pretty sure we won't ever run out of food, but we may yeah. run out of the people who are growing. It, and that's the thing that I'm worried about, you know, preserving- yeah, if you look at like, uh, yeah, if you look at the amount of people in agriculture through time, it's gone down. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's always gone down. It used to be 99% of labor. Now it's just, and then it's just going down further and further and further. Yeah. In terms of, you know, American, like Americans involved in, in actual food production, not just, you know, research or technology, but actual food production is less than 2% of Americans. Yeah. Like it's, it's a minuscule amount of Americans are growing our food, which I mean, is, it's great that they're able to do that sustainably and, and still keep, you know, still keep money in their pocket, but how much longer are they be able to do that? And that's kind of the scary part is, you know, can we, can we maintain and preserve the, that same lifestyle and not lose it completely? Yeah, exactly. And like I said, you know, as we have these big companies, but, and that's another issue, you know, when we talk about like, you know, e- even like the, the standard uh, that, you know, the, the crop growers, mm-hmm. uh, they don't like local crop growers don't get the subsidies like the big farms do. Right. And, and these big, these big multinational farms that own these thousands and thousands of acres, they're the ones getting their pockets lined with Washington's dollars. Right. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. And so the local farmers are having, are always the ones getting screwed out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. and so it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, and I know there's, there's always this talk of, and I think it, this is something that like trends around every so often in agricultural news. Uh, you know, the revolution for the new farmer, <laughs> yeah. the new generation of farmer who's going to rise up and does it. And then like they, they point to one guy who, who made a garden in his backyard and sells it to like the most upscale restaurants in town. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He made it, but that's not like a, we're not going to see these micro farms popping up in, in, in Kansas. No, you know, <laughs> you know it, it's just not, it's just not here. Like where I come from, we don't have a, a premier diner right. dining experience. We can drive 30 minutes to the Red Lobster if you want something fancy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I've seen something, you know, there's there's a lot of talk and conversation, especially in the environmental groups right now, about the potential of, you know, fusing agriculture with urban life again and having, you know, like like there's something called the Pegasus, the Pegasus Project, which is would put a 100-acre farm in right, smack dab in, right smack dab in the middle of Chicago. Um, you know, stuff like that, trying to trying to integrate agriculture into urban developments that way we don't lose that entirely, but it's, it's still going to be different. It's not going to be rural life like we know it. It's just going to be exposure to the to the to the practice. Um, and I'm not sure that that'll ever accurately replace agriculture because I don't think it's sustainable to the degree it's going to be able to produce enough food to, to feed what it's going to have to feed. But maybe yeah, well, some, I mean, uh, think about the cost per acre, right? 
of that land. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just not economical. Center no. city land is the most expensive land you're going to get. Right. And so unless this is like city owned or, or something else to prevent that, because there's going to be this jockeying yeah. all day long of trying to get uh, that land mm-hmm. uh, switched over to, to commercial or residential use, just because that's where the money is. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that's I don't think that we need farms in cities. It's a nice concept, but I think honestly, it, it sounds and, and looks better than it actually is. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think it actually makes that much a difference if you walk past a farm or not, you know, right. because I'm close to, to, to soybeans. That doesn't I don't think that makes me a better person. Yeah, no, I think that the, the, the primary purpose of it is for education, you know, try to get people exposed to not only yeah. just agriculture and, and what it's doing, but also try to get them uh, acquainted with the science and show them like the depth to which their food is grown. It's, yeah, so it's more I- of an educational tool. Yeah, I heard I heard a thing there. There was a study and uh, this this may be completely wrong, but I heard like 40 percent of British children thought eggs came from plants. What? That's that's what I heard. Oh, geez. Well, honestly, I mean, really, it's, you you know, if you've never grown up and if you've never been taught it, you know, like I had agriculture in in my school, like we had agriculture in middle school. But even then, Mm -hmm. I knew that, you know, eggs came from that, you know. And a lot of people don't know the difference between brown and white eggs. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's something that I, I run into a lot. Or I have people here that there are people who grew up in my hometown, you know, where we can't turn a corner without seeing or smelling a dairy. And they think that chocolate milk comes from brown cows. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. I did have one more kind of hypothetical question for you before we All close right. out here. All right. Sounds good. I can, uh, I'll see what I can do. Okay. Uh, so let's just say, you know, same, you know, lab grown meat hypothetical where, where everything is entirely converted to, you know, they're just producing lab grown meat. And it's kind of is a, is a two part question. Um, so first of all, you know, if, if, if we're able to do it, cause you said that it's, it's almost like they're, they're vaccinated in the calf. You just, you know, take a shot and then you take the cells and then you make the meat from it. What's that going to look like on the animal level? Like, are, are they just going to have very, very, very small operations built entirely around just keeping the animals happy and stress-free and then do they get their shot for the day and then they make meat off of it? Or like, what are we going to look at in terms of operation style? And two, what are we going to look at in terms of commercial competition? Like, are there going to be individual companies doing this? Or are they going to have like sole, you know, sole enterprises kind of like, like they're like the farmers are going to adapt this kind of technology for themselves, or is it going to be just like large corporation kind of stuff ran, you know, running this? Okay. So let me start off with your third one first. (laughs) All right. So when we talk about what's going to happen in terms of of this, this is, so we need to look at what we have right now. And right now we have what we call disruptors. Mm -hmm. Memphis meats just, uh, or uh, just eats, I believe is the name of the company. It could be eats just, I forget the exact, Mm -hmm. but, and there are these, basically these little disruptor companies that have spread that have popped up that are vying and jockeying for this. Now, what's going to determine how that how they compete with each other is entirely the patent laws. Okay, the patent, the copyright, the trademark. Mm-hmm. However, the intellectual property is controlled is going to change this, mm-hmm. and and so that's what's going to be going to be there. If if just is able to get it to where they have complete and total patent over how they grow their lab meats, mm-hmm. and they're a year or two months even ahead of these other companies. We're going to see one megalith with a whole lot of smaller companies. They're going to have to really work really hard to make their meat cheaper and, and faster and other such things. And there, there is going to be this huge competition before it becomes a monopoly. Mm-hmm. 
in terms of it's a natural monopoly. It's not like they're going to take over. They're just going to be the only one. Right. Just and this really depends upon patent law. Uh, and if anybody's thinking, well, that's ridiculous. You can't just have a company sprout up out of thin air. Uh, so back in 2000, what was fa- what was Facebook? <laughs> what was Twitter? <laughs> yeah, what was Facebook? What was Twitter? What was Snapchat? <laughs> what was Instagram? What, what was all of that again? I, I forgot. You know, yeah. Right. Elon Musk. Isn't that weird how you just heard his name? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is something that we're seeing now in this age. If mm. people have uh, the technology and they make something happen that other people didn't get their boots on on the ground and they got the technology to, to adapt it, then yeah, these megaliths are going to happen here. We could start saying, well, you know, they're just, that's just the new one. That's just, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, Uber, Lyft and uh, just, uh, and right. just chicken, you know, that, that's what it is. And so <laughs> in terms of that question, now we uh, uh, see your, your other one was in terms, what are we going to see for the animals? Mm-hmm. Like the size of operation, this, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so this really depends upon how the technology is working. Mm-hmm. They're working really, really hard to get it to where they can infinitely replicate mm-hmm. these pluripotent stem cells. So what they would, what they could do in this situation is they would just take, you know, a few hundred samples uh, from, from various, uh, you know, breeds of cattle and just, they would have this massive DNA catalog and then they wouldn't need to ever worry about cattle again because they would have their data and they could just preserve that. And then if they were worried about it going bad, they could just produce more and then hold that back. And so they wouldn't have to worry about cattle operations. If that's not the case, what we might see is a central location where they have, or, you know, sort of like, you know, there's all these little bottlers for um, all the little bottlers for Coca-Cola, you know, like there is Coca-Cola headquarters and then all the little bottlers produce it. Mm -hmm. And so we could have Coca-Cola headquarters where they sort of, where they produce the chemical and they have this small population of really well-kept animals. And then they ship out the, the, the chemicals all over. And we can see that as sort of that, that process, because this is a weight gaining uh, industry right and that's something we could deal with and uh, i seem to have forgotten your second question was that was that was about it it was it was just you know um how how are companies going to remain competitive or is there going to be a competition among the companies and uh, okay is, so yeah you know, how operations going to stay small yeah i don't think the farmers are going to be the ones that are able to rise up and take this over yeah i don't think so either. not because not because farmers are stupid but because farmers are ill-trained in the situation right there's going to have to be finding a new way to use the land mm-hmm I don't know what that is. Uh, I suggested maybe sheep because wool is going to be a a thing and other animals, sheep, llama, that sort of thing. I was going to say, in in regards to that idea, uh, wouldn't dairy still remain prevalent then? Because they can't artificially produce milk yet, can they? Exactly, exactly. Dairy would still remain a thing until they start artificially producing milk. (laughs) Yeah. Because, you know, they because and that's one thing that we need to talk about. Dairy is going to get more expensive because yeah. they use all the calves. They sell it off for veal or they sell it off to, to feedlots or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so that's dairy is going to get more expensive because right. who's paying is going to change. You might go to the store and butter may be a dollar more expensive, but the meat's down a dollar. Mm-hmm. And so it, it'll shift in terms of consumer and consumer purchasing. It, it may be the same. It may not how just depending on how it transfers. But yeah, we're going to see this as an issue. Now, is everyone going to switch over to these lab-grown meats? Maybe not, but mm. it's kind of going to be like it is nowadays, where if you want the option to buy, you know, non non GMO, you have to pay out the nose. Mm-hmm. You may you may have to pay out the nose, and I'm not certain that the the you know the working poor in America or you know low income or even lower middle class people are going to look at the price tag and say, 
well, you know, I had my convictions before, but that's like $20 sitting in my cart right there right. every week. I'll just try it this one week. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. P- people's wallets have a really good way of talking to them mm-hmm. about things and, and convincing them, hey, instead of that name brand of chip, why don't you buy the great value? Yep. Hmm. And, so, and so that, yeah, that's sort of where I see that that, that is being an issue. Okay. So in terms of, of final thoughts on, on the B issue, on the lab-grown meat issue, in terms of, not necessarily the issue, but in terms of the, the future of these two um, particular topics, uh, what, you know, do you have anything else you want to want to close out with? I guess just the main thing is we live in very interesting times in agriculture, <laughs> but we may live, but we don't know when. Mm-hmm. is is i guess is you know if, if we could agree on a message to give people as we close out this podcast the future is coming but it's kind of like waiting for the bus right sometimes it shows up when we expect it to sometimes it's 15 minutes early and sometimes it's three hours late <laughs> <laughs> yep all right i like that and so as far as my uh my final thoughts go i'd say you know i i agree completely it's just something we're gonna have to kind of wait and see you know, there's, there's really no way to, to surefire predict how things are going to go. We're just going to have to kind of ride the waters as they come to us. Um, I will say, you know, we, we had a similar conversation or I didn't, but you know, people had a similar conversation about lab grown meat that they had about, um, you know, organic farming and newer, like, like holistic agriculture and that kind of stuff. So I think that it will become a niche part of the market, but will, will it replace modern agriculture? I, I don't see it happening for another decade or two, but who knows? Technology evolves quickly. So I guess we'll have to kind of wait and see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I think that that kind of wraps up our conversation. I will give you uh, the chance to plug your podcast if you'd like and talk about anything else you'd like to plug. Yeah, like I said, uh, in case anybody's interested, I am going to have my my first episode of the Utopic Socialist this Wednesday. You can find it on Spotify early uh, uh, that day. Apple takes a little bit later. And if you're interested in following me on social media, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at proto socialist. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again, KT for coming on. It's been a sure pleasure and a lot of fun having, having this, uh, conversation about, you know, hypotheticals and stuff. It's always a good time. Um, I think we got some new memes out of this episode, so I might have to make a t-shirt about, you know, beehive being on fire, but, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks again so much for, for coming on the show. Thanks to all my listeners and supporters for tuning in and yeah. always helping out the podcast. Yeah. But, yeah. So I think that that'll do it. So don't forget if you ate today, thank a farmer. <laughs>